Chapter 30 of Snarled Identities. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Snarled Identities by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 30 Mrs. Simpson Learns the Truth. Lane A. Griswold's big car hummed softly to itself as it climbed the hill from the village of New Pelham and stopped in front of Number 31 Floral Avenue. The millionaire newspaper proprietor was on his stage errand, and his expression showed that he realized it. Although he was frequently absent from his luxurious suite of private offices in the Chronicle and Observer building for weeks at a time, he had walked in that morning promptly at 9 o'clock instead of 10 or 11, as was his usual habit when in town. Five minutes later, he was in possession of such facts as his general manager and the editor could give him concerning Mrs. Simpson's phone message. The manager, of course, informed him that no such person was employed in the building, but the description had set Griswold into thinking. I'll call her up myself, was the unexpected announcement which had sent his subordinates about their business. The connection was quickly made, but the conversation which had ensued was very brief. Mrs. Simpson described Jones's visit the day before in a very few words, and then told of the finding of the injured man. Griswold wanted to ask her to describe the latter once more for his benefit, but refrained, thinking the request might seem rather strange. I see, he answered instead. I think I had better come up to the house myself, Mrs. Simpson. I shall start at once, and ought to be there in an hour, I should say. Less than that time had been required for the trip, and now the millionaire stepped out of the car and approached the house, looking about him rather critically as he did so. He had not always been wealthy, and he knew that number 31 Floral Avenue, though insignificant enough from his present standpoint, was not the sort of place that a man dependent on the salary of the size of John Simpson's was able to afford. Accordingly, therefore, he came to the same conclusion that Jack Cray had reached the previous day. By heaven, he muttered, the skin under his jaws tightening. The fellow must have been helping himself from the fund before he decamped. What a fool he is! What fools they are to make a big showing on nothing! Don't they know what a telltale performance is? Then he smiled a little grimly and shrugged his shoulders. I suppose, though, it's natural that they should want to find some outlet for the money they've sold their souls for, he added mentally, as he pressed the button of the electric bell. The maid presently opened the door, and Griswold gave his name. He was ushered into the same room in which Cray had been conducted less than twenty-four hours before, and in hardly more than a minute, Mrs. Sipson joined him. Griswold looked at her with a touch of curiosity, for to him the members of his staff had always been a little more than the cogs in the great machine that he drove, and it was rather hard for him to think of them in any intimately human relationship. As soon as their first formal greetings were over, he came to the point at once. I'm very much interested, after a fashion, in this man Jones, Mrs. Simpson. Are you sure you've made no mistake in the name? Quite, Mr. Griswold, the missing treasurer's wife replied positively. That's certainly the name he gave me yesterday. He said you had sent him, too. He asked me all sorts of questions about Mr. Simpson and the house and myself. Very strange questions, some of them. He even requested me to show him about the place. I do hope... Lane Griswold held up one carefully manicured hand. It's all right, I think, Mrs. Simpson, he hastened to assure her. If he's the man I think he is, he was quite justified in saying I sent him. Apparently, however, he didn't choose to give you his own name, which seems to have been a rather useless and unlooked-for performance. Describe him, please. The woman did so, and Griswold nodded once or twice during the description. That's the man, he admitted. The name has caused some confusion, however, and the rest was due to the fact that he isn't regularly employed at the office, but works for me personally. He was studying Mrs. Simpson's face intently, 
and trying to decide whether it were worthwhile to continue the deception or not. Surely, if she had any intelligence, she might have suspected long before that there was something very queer about her husband's disappearance. Still, so long as she did not insist upon the truth, he thought it best not to be too definite. I hope Mr. Uh, Jones isn't badly injured, he said. He's still unconscious, sir, and the doctor seems to be afraid that his skull might be fractured. If he has any relatives, Dr. Lord thinks they should be notified at once. I know nothing about his family affairs, Griswold said a trifle impatiently. My impression is that he's alone in the world, but I may be mistaken. May I see him? Of course, he's here on the first floor. They did not want to take him upstairs. This way, please, Mr. Griswold. And she led the way to the room in which the battered detective lay, drawing back, however, at the threshold. The young doctor was still there, largely, perhaps, for want of something better to do. Mrs. Simpson had said that the patient was unconscious, thereby giving Griswold a somewhat mistaken idea. Certainly, Cray had not returned to normal consciousness, but he was by no means in the motionless stupor the newspaper proprietor had looked for. If his informant had told him that Jack was delirious, he would have been better prepared. Nick's burly friend was tossing relentlessly to and fro, at least his head and arms were, and just as Griswold came to a halt and looked down at him, he uttered two words which had come frequently to his lips that morning. Nick Carter, he muttered, in a somewhat muffled but perfectly distant voice. He's been repeating that name at intervals for hours, the young doctor remarked. It must be the detective, don't you suppose? Griswold was under the impression that Mrs. Simpson had withdrawn, but even that did not entirely explain the slip that followed. He who was desired secrecy above all things must have forgotten himself for the time being. Yes, it's the detective, he answered in a matter-of-fact tone. This man is himself a detective, and they were working together on... He stopped abruptly as a cry from the doorway reached him. Mrs. Simpson had heard what he said. End of chapter 30